You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. My name is Alex Jung. I am uh, a comedian based out of Los Angeles. Uh, originally from Dallas, Texas. Been doing stand-up, writing, acting for the past 11 years. Just doing the work out here and it's been so far so good. They've been treating me all right. That's why I haven't moved to Austin. Welcome to the Vietnamese. I'm your host, Kenneth Nguyen. Being part of a culture of nearly 100 million Vietnamese people in the world today comes with a lot of pain, proud history, and privilege. Join me as I highlight and explore the Vietnamese experience from all over the world. What does it mean to be Vietnamese to you? Being Vietnamese means that um, I have the blood of my ancestors in me showing me that I can do anything. I can persevere through any single situation because my parents, you know, as with a lot of Vietnamese uh, first generation uh, kids, our parents risk death and torture and just to get away from a war to come to America. So the world is my oyster and I have to just be prepared to show up and show out and just represent to the fullest. I think that's so important to me as a Vietnamese uh, person. Now, growing up, did you think you were funny or did other people tell you were funny? I think other people told me I was funny because I, I was trying to survive as the youngest kid and also like one of the few Asian kids in my neighborhood. Uh, so I knew that uh, people liked being around me because I was like different and I was weird. I was kind of like a collector's item. Uh, so they they hung around with me and then uh, I used to have people like, hey, man, we want to hang out with you because you're funny. And I'm like, what? Like, That's weird. And then I stopped hanging out with them because I'm I'm like super insecure. Uh, I learned that word later on. But like, I'm like, why do people want to hang out with me? Ah, now nah, I'm just now nah, it's, it's you, you, now you're creating expectations that, out of me. So I'm just going to not hang out with you anymore. Uh, but looking back, that was a big mistake because. Uh, I could have some really cool friends, but hung out with them for a while. And then people around me at school uh, would laugh around me. I, I love the attention. And then one day I remember one of the kids was like, man, you're always trying to be funny. You know, I was like, yeah, I, I get it. But you keep trying, you keep trying and trying. And I was like, oh, well, I'm, I'm just trying to, trying to bring something to the table. I don't have much else. I'm not good at school. You can't copy off my exam. So I'm just trying to going to. I'm trying to give you some laughs, I guess. That I, I like when people laugh, but I didn't know necessarily what it was. I just knew I was just trying to make people laugh. Yeah, yeah. there there's some uh, people, comedians, that when you meet them or you hear them just talking regularly, they're not funny. And I feel like when they turn it on or when they write their bit or they work on their act, the, you could see the intellectual process come out and then you could see the funny come out. 
But I feel like a lot of people, I don't know, maybe I don't know enough of the sample size of comedians in the world, but um, a lot of them tend to be introverted and not really funny when you meet them. Um, I've met a few, and but do you classify yourself uh, as an extrovert, introvert, funny all the time, on all the time, or how do you see yourself? I, oh man, I think I have that problem of being on all the time. And it's just a, a need to be liked by everybody. Yeah. And I get that's that has sent me into therapy multiple times. And now I'm like sober because of it, because it's constant, uh, constant validation. And only the work, uh, only through the work and therapy that I've been able to realize that, like, no matter, I don't need to impress people all the time. I can just be myself, that I'm good enough for any single situation that I don't need to entertain. I don't know. I, I just, I'm the, I'm, I have youngest child syndrome where I'm just like, always, Hey, everybody look at me. But now I'm just like, all right, pump the brakes. Cause that can be exhausting and taxing on my mental health. So I need to just uh, do it in doses. You know, I don't have to be on all the time anymore. I've only realized that like literally this year during the pandemic when, you know, I had uh, a child and I realized I can't be on all the time. I need to devote my energy to this child then it's honestly made me better at comedy that i'm not draining the well at all ends so it's really been helping me out just to you know to t take a breath to take a breath comedians are always looking for attention yeah. you know yeah. uh, and, it, <laughs> and and you you see it all through the mainstream you see it hear it in the podcast that they do uh and you know they're very they're very uh ad they admit it very openly the way you just did in the first few minutes of our podcast here you're like yeah i mean that's like my biggest downfall like i'm constantly yeah. what is that where does that come from i i don't know i think it's from probably being in a big family like three brothers two sisters uh being in a big family but also just um just not wanting to get picked on I got picked on a lot as a kid, uh, the whole Asian thing. So I ended up, ended up emceeing all my like high school shows, pep rallies. And from there, I made like a lot of friends and people like stopped picking on me because they were like, oh, you're funny. All right. We don't, we don't have to beat you up anymore. Or, like try to make you cry. So me offering something to them, bringing something to the table and entertaining them there, they, they didn't hurt me. So being funny was like a big defense mechanism for me. That's some fucked up shit to hey, hear that, you know? Survival of the fittest, man. Yeah. That's, the, that's that Vietnamese in me, man. Survival of the fittest. Let's go. <laughs> what, what, uh, what, like, big groups of uh, ethnicities did you grow up around? Uh, black people, Mexican people, and like trashy white people. You know, not the, not the upper crust, not the, you know, top of the heap white people, but... Uh, and nothing, nothing against him at all. That's just, you know, hey, the, so what? He has a face tattoo. He's and he's white. That's cool. Uh, he's gonna do his thing. He's gonna keep living his life. He says the n word, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna accept him. Uh, he sings along to all the lyrics. Uh, that, that's what my neighborhood was like in East Dallas, Texas, before it got super gentrified. And we were all friends. We were all friends, man. Yeah, it's a different time where we can. I mean, maybe we all still do get along. We just, you know, no, we just, we get, along. we get along. I think the whole world, you know, 
the whole you know thing of you know the polarization of 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 america is something that exists maybe in in the internet i mean i think it's mostly in the internet and like certain colleges that need attention or that they need their their student enrollment is down so they need to create these uh identity crisis and these uh studies like there's people starving and dying out in, in in America, in the greatest power in the world. There's people still dying and ho- being homeless and everything. So instead of fixing that, because that's a bigger problem, it's a class issue. Uh, instead of fixing that, they decide to delve into like uh, identity politics and creating that war online and affecting, you know, kids in school and trying to create this new thing. It's a new thing that people want to um, distract with. Because if we actually address the real thing, the class warfare, that's what really scares the hell out of all these like old white American institutions. Because if they lose their power, then what are they going to have? Just They only get to have their boats and their houses and their wives and their girlfriends and their cars. Like, oh, I don't have power. I don't have the real thing that makes me go, you know, so... But you can argue that what they're fighting for in these colleges is just that very thing, no? Yeah. No, they're, they're, they're fighting for a lot of that. And I, I think that's, yes, that is important. Okay. I'm, I'm not saying it's not important. I'm not discounting the struggle of, you know, identities. But why are we creating a whole war based on identity politics instead of, number one addressing reparations and slavery black people that you know laid the foundation for america and built america they still haven't gotten their due yet we're focusing on you know 56 pronouns we're not focusing on the big deal the big issue because it's so scary um to them to actually empower the people that they hurt like like black people aren't gonna hurt you when they get their due they're just gonna live their lives they're normal human beings so a lot of that has to do with, you know, just uh, avoiding the big issue in America is, you know, addressing um, slavery, addressing all the people that they heard, ad- addressing the, the concentration camps that they created right here in America, giving property back, giving uh, businesses back, empowering those cultures. Instead, they're just like, oh, yeah, well, what if, uh, you know, this person, uh, I can't believe the, the bathrooms aren't correct oh my God, the bathrooms are not correct. Like, yo, we have bigger issues at stake here. There's there's kids starving. So why don't we worry about that first? Use those resources. It just goes back to saying that I, I love to hear if in America, if black people are okay, America is doing great. You know, if we can if like solve that first, then I think um, it, the, the the mass media at large or whatever you know the the, the big people at power uh, would slowly lose their power and I think that's the goal to spread that humongous amount of power amongst people so they can be empowered and continue living their lives which is not a lot to ask you know this conversation can go in many many directions right now mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. but I'm going to I'm going to uh, follow it along with this black uh, American conversation because uh, I think this is uh, important because Mm -hmm. recently, um, you know, I've always heard of this book, uh, The the, uh, People's History of the U.S. by Howard Zinn. Um, And I've 
listened, I've heard people talk about it and I just always thought it was some dry history book. And I think mm -hmm. years past, it would have been a dry history book to me. And mm -hmm. I just started to read it. I'm on chapter three right now, but it chronicles the minute Christopher Columbus arrives on the shores of America and mm -hmm. the Arawak Indians and the systematic deletion, like the, mm -hmm. the, the cleansing, the killing of this indigenous tribe of the United States. Mm -hmm. And you, you follow Howard Zinn's uh, storytelling of what happens, the annihilation and the systemic annihilation of the Indians, and then how they brought uh, the black slaves from Africa. Then you start to realize the genetic, uh, the coding of American history is rooted in some deep, deep systemic shit. It's not what we, it's it, the shit that we're seeing today is like just a projection of like four or 500 years ago of what was started. So I don't think a lot of people, especially Vietnamese people are aware no. that this shit is like this and it goes all the way to the Vietnam War. It yeah. goes to Afghanistan. It goes to everything that we are witnessing in modern history. This I think because we were so scared that we just got here. We just had gotten here. But also while we're in Vietnam, we saw black soldiers being treated poorly, but we wanted help. So we we're like, oh, just like stay quiet, just stay quiet. Don't don't do anything. Even during the war, like when black uh, soldiers got back to America, they weren't treated any differently. They weren't heroes. They were like, I don't care. They still do to this day where they get pulled over and they're like, hey, I'm in the army. They're like, yo, shut the fuck up and um, put your hands on on the hood. Like, OK, there's no um, there was no benefit from it. Like, you know, that's why Muhammad Ali was so important. You know, the, he was like, yo, ain't, no Viet Cong ever called me the N word. Yeah. The uh, the Asian Americans in uh, the community today, the, the really vocal ones, um, when we talk about these uh, Vietnamese or Asian discussions, they always start with you got to give it up to the black movements, the the James Baldwin's, the all the intellectuals that uh, the black American intellectuals that went way ahead of our time and what we are going through right now is nothing compared to the the stuff that they had to unfuck no. in the history no. of the americas that doesn't doesn't hold a candle to it at all no but we have to we have to recognize it um in, in our community and slowly i think the young uh, young vietnamese americans um are starting to to really yeah. drill down and and you know, you have to give the you have to give the recognition uh, where it's due because otherwise we're just we're not really um, learning anything. We're just thinking that you know we just got here forty five years ago and you know now we're just uh, yeah. You know. If it wasn't for the Civil yeah. Rights Act, I believe nineteen uh, like early early eighties. Like I don't know the exact date, um, but if it wasn't for that, um, we wouldn't have been able to thrive. I think it was what much uh, further back than the than the eighties, but like, you know, we're looking sixties, and you know, and it started in the fifties, and mm -hmm. there's so many voices and thinkers that uh, that really is helping us along uh, with our way mm -hmm. today. But you know, the, the tricky part is also this shit in the media today, where um, it's hard to to kind of have discussions around 
um, stop Asian hate, when we see like some of the crimes or a lot of the crimes are perpetrated by, you know, um, people of color uh, all yeah. around the inner cities. And so yeah. that's a tough discussion for Vietnamese Americans, especially the older generations to kind of like wrap their brain around. Right. But yeah. the reason why all of this crime is happening in the inner city, it's a systemic uh, problem from like hundreds of years ago and we're just now seeing it bleed into modern society but it, i feel like it's not often discussed so openly in our families and in our you know group discussion and a lot of it is not a race war they're trying to paint it as yeah. a race war it's more so of a mental illness issue because yeah america doesn't know how to take care of its mentally ill if we gave people the proper uh, the proper resources instead of fucking fighting another war. Uh, maybe that part that w w could be addressed. We take care of these people. You got to 5150 some of the people out there. They need to be 5150, have proper mental health institutions. You got you to gotta give them help whether they like it or not. You look at the track record. That's what happens. When our friends show that they are harming themselves and others, you 5150 them. You're what, like, what's hey, 50, can we talk about what 5150 means? Yeah, to commit someone to a mental institution against their will. So that's kind of like the term for it. If you did that and you you let people just cool off, you, you give people the, the right resources, the right programs. I know it can be done because I did it myself. Like I, I went through the whole 12-step program. I wait, wait, wait. What, what do you mean you went through the whole, um, you were 5150? Well, I wasn't 5150, but I know like mental health can be addressed. I know it's not as easy as I'm making it out to be. It's a lot trickier than that. But if people got the proper resources, instead of just throwing tents at them, maybe we can give them proper housing, proper food, clean water, do their laundry, give them a haircut. That That's like the first step towards someone uh, reintegrating themselves into society. You know, instead of, you know, just being on the streets, I, I get it. Our healthcare system is a fucking jacked up. It, we, we got the jankiest healthcare system in the world where ambulances are dropping people off on the side of the street like they're an Uber. Like, what the hell are you doing? This person needs help. But you, but you just... know what? This is like predominantly like California, though. It's not. Is it? I don't think it's like in other parts of the country in, in the U.S. as much as it is in California. In California, coastal, yeah, coastal cities for sure. I it's know Austin everywhere. has a problem too. Yeah. Oh, really? Everywhere yeah. in California, you just see it, especially in L.A. L.A. has got. Yeah. I grew up here in L.A. It's gotten so mm. much worse throughout throughout my life, you know. Mm. And then you go to a country yeah, like Go Mary Garcetti, yeah. But you go guy. to Viet, you go to Vietnam, and it's like whoa. There's no home. I don't. I've never really saw anybody who was like homeless the way the populations are here. Mm -hmm. I think I saw maybe like one or two, but everyone, everyone finds a way in Vietnam. That's why I feel like when I visited Vietnam, it reinvigorated my work ethic because I thought I was working hard, and then I went to Vietnam and I was like, damn, they're like sleeping at the place where they work. They work. They, they don't fuck they, around. Ooh, till like they are selling their goods until like 1.30, 2 a.m. in the morning. They're sleeping right below their counter and they're waking back up at 6 a.m. to reset. And then they are back to business again. So uh, I just didn't realize 
how brilliant the, the Vietnamese people are. And it's, it's a very beautiful thing for the country to run like a well-oiled machine with maybe like three stoplights. <laughs> I think I saw just the whole country itself is gorgeous in that way because people understand um, their environment, you know, just moving and shaking. They can feel things. You can feel that moped flying at you at, at your seven o'clock and you know how to like bob it. We've just enough to avoid them without even looking twice. People are on mopeds with kids and puppies and everything. And they're continuing on. That's their day to day. It's amazing. What, like, when, when did you go? I went, I want to say 2016. Yeah. I went there like 2016. Six. We flew into Saigon and we, I know I don't want, I, I still call it Saigon because I'm stubborn. Um, and I'm, my family is are from the South. So I, I still have a bone to pick with that. Oh, people in Saigon call it Saigon too. It's, yeah, know, it's interchangeable. Some guy tried to correct me when I was in Vietnam. He was like, oh, no, no, you, you mean Ho Chi Minh City? I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> I mean, Saigon. It's so much more beautiful too. It represents us so much better than, uh, oh, are you, are you going to HMCAs, HMCC or whatever? I'm like, no, 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 yeah, said, shut up. You're, you're ruining my history right now. I, I, it's Saigon. It's Saigon all day, every day. And just, uh, we flew into Saigon and then we backpacked all the way up to uh, Hanoi and to Sapa. And then from Sapa, we went, we got on a little tiny plane, flew back down to Saigon. Then we went to uh, Phu Quoc. I didn't even know, like, we had like a little island off the coast of Vietnam, which uh, had some of the best seafood I've ever tasted. And then, yeah, just seeing the whole co seeing the whole country and just how what could have been if it wasn't for the war. My father used to stay it. I didn't believe him until I went there. It was like if it was if it wasn't for the war, uh, Vietnam would be you know trading with Taiwan and just the likes of that, just that level of technology and innovation. Um, yeah, it, it's sad, but just for it took only one generation half a generation for Vietnam to be thriving again, that shows like the tenacity of the Vietnamese people. And I think it's a beautiful thing. And that well, woke me up. I got back. I didn't complain about anything for like at least a couple of months, <laughs> but I'm a comic. So maybe it was a couple of weeks. Well, there, there's a lot to unpack in that, that statement that you made. Uh, there's a lot of um, sadness when I think about the history in the sixties and and, and before that, I mean, if you were to compare like Taiwan, mm -hmm. the economies of Taiwan and Vietnam, uh, you go to a place like Vietnam and you could you could feel like it was on its way to surpass Taiwan. And, and I think it was beyond Taiwan in the 60s, mm -hmm. um, as I understand it. My, my in-laws, my wife is uh, Taiwanese and my father-in-law mm -hmm. and I have these discussions where uh, we talk about the economies of Taiwan and Vietnam in the 60s. Wow. And, and where was that? And you could hear it from the the stories our parents talk about the roaring, you know, it felt like the roaring 20s in, in the US where uh, the wow. city of Saigon was vibrant and there was like this rock and roll scene. There's like fashion, you know, women with like beautiful, you know, hairdos and, and, and shades. And it's just, yeah. it was so hip and, and hopping, yeah. right? Yeah. And, um, you know, the war comes in and, you know, whatever happened during that time i mean it really set us all back um a lot of things have happened since 
the war and mm-hmm. there's a lot of different players that are involved both on the Vietnamese you know in in Vietnam Vietnamese Americans here in the US and the government of the United States there's three different players that were really working towards you know embargo lifting rebuilding reconstructing there's a lot of things that are that are you know it's a, it's a it's a it's a rich history of things that mm-hmm. we the second generation um are now beginning to unpack because a lot of things were top secret and you know there's so much political stuff happening but i'm starting yeah. to to unmask unmask a lot of this stuff and i want to bring this um this uh idea of it takes the entire world to kind of open up to stop wars and to make societies thrive again and this is mm-hmm. um vietnam you you break it you buy it man yeah yeah, yeah, you do get back to it. But the good thing is that a lot of entertainment is focusing on Vietnam now. I believe like Sony opened up a studio there. Yep. But if I'm correct, Sony opened up a studio. You got more and more production yeah. uh, happening there. And it's it's not a big ask. It's not a big ask to uh, uh, reinvigorate, like to inject Vietnam with, uh, I guess, um, a stimulus, if you will just to, to get things going again, just to make sure that the streets are, you know, intact, everything. And, and the Vietnamese people can do it. They need to work. It's happening. It's yeah. happening. All of this is happening. So let's get back into comedy. Um, we're getting yeah. a little... <laughs> yeah, getting, yeah, it's a little heavy. Sorry. I, lot I of, no, 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 no. I, I, I really welcome it. I really do welcome the heaviness. But sometimes we, you know, the movie yeah, that we play right at here... The, at the front of our brain. It is. Yeah. It's at the front of our brain. But um, what, what kind of comics inspired you growing up the main one probably dave attell because uh, i used to just watch all kinds of shows cartoons or whatever but then uh, while i'm 13 14 i discovered uh insomniac on comedy central and just the lights and just this uh this bumbling guy just you know going through new york partying with the wildest people uh, just all kinds of characters. And then he would go down and just speak in front of people and they would all laugh. And I was like, ooh, yes, absolutely. I, I, I want to be a part of that right there. How old were you and, then? Yeah, about 13, 14, maybe 15, just around there. Uh, I was in high school. And then that's when I got like the, the itch to like make all, people laugh. And I knew that everybody loved this guy. So I was like, I want to be that guy that everybody loves and you know just lets hold the floor and ended up just uh mostly him i remember aside from mattel the other person that i heard about or heard jokes from was um uh, mitch hedberg one of my friends had his album and they, they he just played it for me he's like dude this is uh this is a guy named mitch hedberg and he's doing these jokes i wish somebody would have told me it was stand-up comedy and that is a thing that you can do. Uh, I would have been. I would have started a lot sooner than that. But you know, nobody knew it. I was at just fi- uh, at fifteen. I mean, you can't get earlier than that. I mean, you know. Yeah. Well, can you? I think Chappelle. Chappelle, but I mean, thirteen. Chappelle's a, a special, a special situation because his mom yeah. and dad. You know, they really understood mm-hmm. that. You know that that's mm-hmm. what he wanted to do, and you know, I think that. I think the reason he is so good because his parents uh, really had a hand in, you know, fostering that calling. Um, I I think if we all had parents that fostered our calling, there's no telling where and how far we'd all get to. Yeah. And they were 
intellectuals as well. Intellectual, so, you're absolutely right. And so they uh, helped them become like, a, you know, just averse of all the, all the subjects in America, race relations, like all the, the stuff they don't tell you about. Yeah. He got, you An know, education. look at that. Yeah. Exactly. A free one, a free one. And a imagine quality education. Imagine the shit that they talked about at the dinner table, because the, the wow. stuff that you talked at the dinner table is what's going to inspire your children to go out and be a voice in the community and society. Ooh, yeah, just to be a fly on the wall there uh, would change your life. Uh, but yeah, the, I think those are the two main guys. And then I just didn't hear about comedy or watch comedy after that. It was mainly like go to school, focus, uh, study biology, get a degree in that, go on to become a doctor. And as I'm in the middle of all that, I, I'm still writing. I've always been writing. I wrote thank. I'm such a dweeb. I, I wrote like a bunch of thank you notes to my teachers, but mainly the teachers that I knew I was going to fail their class. So I would write these beautiful little thank you cards. Hey, thank you. You know, I just have been really struggling with class. I wasn't. I was just lazy, but I wrote them little beautiful thank you cards. And my teacher, actually, in my Vietnamese class, I took. They had a Vietnamese class at my middle school. We were in the portables in the back. We had a Vietnamese teacher, and then I wrote him a, th a thank you note, just for everything. And he pulled me aside one day, and you know, he's holding the card. And he's like, "Alex, um, this is a um, this is beautifully written. You're a good writer. You're a good writer." I was like, oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. Can I get that A now? And <laughs> and then it was just like, all right, we'll see. Then a couple of weeks later, I get my report card and it is an A. I was able to show my parents. I'm like, hey, I got an A in Vietnamese. Uh, and he, she, she was very proud of that. Even though I was like freaking out skipping class, smoking cigarettes and playing pool uh, like a little freaking thug. <laughs> Drinking beers at that age. She yeah. thought it was so cool. Uh, but I was able to make it through. And then uh, I kept writing. I kept writing. And then I had a friend who had an aunt in Orange County who was a producer. Uh, she got what, she got a hold of one of my stories through my friend. And then she was like, oh, we should make a movie out of this. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Let's, yeah, she was, she was like, hey, why don't you? And I was in college by then. So she said, uh, yeah, why don't you come here and develop it? I'll make sure you're paid fairly. Uh, for your script, for your time, I'll give you a place to live. And my girlfriend at the time was like, yeah, you're never going to get to do this ever again. So you should do it. I did it. And I fell in love with it. And my girlfriend at the time was like, hey, are you going to like move back? Or is she just going to try this thing? And I was like, I don't think I am. And we ended up breaking up. It was a rough Wait, you don't think you don't think you am? I don't think I am moving back. Or uh, what, what? What did you think you were not doing? Uh, I was not moving back to Dallas. I was not right. moving back. My, my this is my new home, and it hurt. It hurt like hell, but I knew that I that this was something that I had to do with my life because if I just stayed in Dallas, I would just be like a freaking barbecue connoisseur. And you know, build race cars all day, which sounds fucking amazing. I would do point. that. Sound, yeah, I mean, just eating barbecue all day, building like <laughs> thousand horsepower. Uh, Nothing wrong with that life. Out. Yeah, not at all. I celebrate it, man. I, I wish I could be that guy right now. Sometimes I'll get, I'll get back around to there, but the, the money will just be different. Yeah. So yeah. wait, who is this aunt of yours that uh, asked you to come out here? 
my aunt it was an aunt of my friends who i knew from back in dallas and she's like some forex this is before like forex and like bitcoin and everything came around they were on the ground floor of currency exchange so she made her fortune in currency exchange uh-huh. but she's also vietnamese and she uh also wanted to get into the entertainment business and i was like her first try we did it the script was written talent got attached we through like friends and everything they got attached and we were in, going into uh principal photography but then like at that point she was pulling herself so thin because like the currency exchange world her own businesses then now she wants to get into entertainment her husband like threatened her with divorce because he was like a stay-at-home dad at that point and i'm like yo you, shut the fuck up man you, you, your life is made all right your wife is so successful but I think his fragile male ego got in the way of him, like not being able, or him just being a full-time babysitter. So he got into it with her and then they ended up pulling the plug on the project. Uh, But then luckily, like after a couple of years, I got the rights back to the script. But yeah, I just stayed there in Orange County and she was like, well, you can work at my advertising company. She had an advertising company down there as well. So I was writing copy love doing that because i was making like good money i had free housing then my friends that i met throughout the whole process in la were like hey alex are you gonna do that i thought you were here to write you're here to write and do all these other so many things that you have available to you and i was like ah damn it you're right so cash my last check put all my shit in my little mr2 and freaking drove it back up to uh, la they gave me a place to stay and then i just kept going and going and going and then as in the middle of like, you know, acting, writing, just going on auditions, I like stumble upon like an open mic in the valley. And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. I look in the window, I'm like, oh yeah, I know what this is. This is like, yeah, you're, you're, you're holding the floor, t- telling jokes, you're emceeing kind of. And I told the guy at the door, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, this is like where I emcee, right? And he's like, no, 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 this is where you do stand up comedy. First time I ever heard that fucking word. Wait up, hold up. So you didn't uh, come out to LA to do any stand-up or comedian, being no. a comedian. You you came out to be a filmmaker or a writer? A writer, yeah. A like writer. a script writer. Yeah. A screenwriter. Yeah. Came out to be a screenwriter, ended up doing comedy. I still write a lot. And so in in, in uh, Dallas, did you study screenwriting? No. You just put a script together and you just got basically got passed around and you know you get yeah i just pulled a bunch of scripts uh online and i just read every single one of those scripts and i learned structure i learned final i got a like a hacked copy of final draft draft. of course if you don't have it i don't think you're a real writer uh kidding but i was able to understand the structure and the punctuation and everything and i just refined my script through that process kind of like just watch and learn monkey see monkey do so that ended up that resulted in that script and then when i got it back i ended up uh turning into a play i, I joined like a stage writing program at east west players hmm. going, going to east west players i was able to turn into a stage play and that's the, one of the best things i could have done because i just flushed out the story on a different level uh it, the, the storytelling is so much more unique and then that's what I'm sitting with. Then I turn it back into a screenplay. And that's like my baby that I get to like see every time I open up my laptop. I'm like, eh, don't worry. She's going to she's gonna be made one day. It's going to be fine. That's, uh, that's, that's my little 
uh, magnum opus, if you will, uh, that it's going to be, it's going to get made one day. I just, I love it too much, but eventually I'll have to either kill it or I'll have to, <laughs> I'll, I'll get it made for sure. It's not, it's not a tough project to make at all. Uh, but in the midst of all that, like I just, I found an open mic and I decided to uh, just to try it again. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, quick five minutes, light comes from over there. Oh, this is where it's at. This is the thing that can keep me sane. This is the thing that can help me make friends. And yeah, just from there, meeting comics and stuff, I ended up just uh, where I am now. It's, it was, it's a, my first love. How many years ago was the um, the stand-up discovery in the Valley? Eight years. Eight years. So uh, from the stand-up place in the Valley to uh, the guest, uh, you discovering the comedy store, um, how many years did that take? Uh, I was two years into comedy, just an open micer. Uh, then someone told me I need to go to the comedy store on Mondays and I was like, okay, cool. I went there, signed up for potluck, um, did my three minutes, had a, had an okay set, you know, okay enough for where they invited me back next week, did that and just hanging around, finding the Kill Tony show and getting stage time there. Cause that was fun. And then from there, they told me that some people at the store I was, I was as i was hanging out i had nothing else to do i was just hanging out all day they were like oh no you need to go come back here on a tuesday night tuesday night is where it's at and i i was like well for what they were like for roast battle hottest show in town right now i was like okay so i walk, I step into the belly room upstairs and i see roast battle and you know you look around you're like oh yeah yeah i could do this this is good i i understand <clears throat> there's the dj there's the like so-called like uh the negro wave they're like the cheerleaders and then you got uh, the judges up there uh that's um that that makes sense to me i know this is a competition i understand competition and i understand how to move through it if i wanted it to be it and i was like okay cool and i did it and they love having me on because everyone gets to sling their asian jokes because like i'm one of like i was oh, so like Asian a, guy really bad like a punching bag yeah, but guess what? This punching bag punches back. So you get to punch back. So I'm like, man, let's hear them jokes. Let's hear them jokes. Okay, I, you got you got a jab, I got a hook. You got a, you got a fucking gut check, I got a haymaker. So it was fun. It was fun. We had so much fun. It made me become 10 times the writer that I was. And I could defend myself on any freaking stage in the country. Okay, let, let let me ask you, uh, roast battle. Uh, in my mind, I I don't know much about it, but is roast battle like there's several of these? Like, because uh, you see it on television, and yeah, roasting is you know comedians getting together to put each other down. But yeah, uh, the idea of roast battle, I believe it's Jeff Ross. Yeah. Is, okay, is that just? pertaining to the comedy store or is it jeff ross roast battle is a brand that goes everywhere gets televised and and all of that it's a brand that um brian moses and jeff ross really took to an international level and then all, all these other shows that you hear about around town those are our babies <laughs> so they inspired all this whole roast movement all these roast shows around the country because we did it correctly we did it the right way. 
we didn't sell out to like you know the big paychecks and there were there were a couple of big paychecks that they were offering um them but no they were they wanted to do it right they wanted to do on their home at comedy central they didn't want to go the other route keep it underground until like it you can't hold it underground anymore and that's when it became like a show and i was lucky enough to be on season three but be me being ultra competitive i was like no no, no i belong on season one because i'm like I'm, I'm moving through these fools and i'm, I'm battling I'm, I'm putting down the work and then didn't get season one the season two came around i was like okay i'm definitely gonna get this but then during one of my showcase battles i had a gun jam in my mind i was just like ah, i can't get this joke out for some reason for some reason it's never happened to me before where I was like freaking, uh, I was like B Rabbit up out there. I was just like, uh, 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 I can't, uh, uh, uh. and then it just, uh, I was battling uh, another battler who is incredible. And she fucking just took that and whomped. whomped. She was so smart. She just let me drown up there, which is what you do. It's a competition, man. There's like so much at stake. And I was just like, uh, 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 I couldn't get it out. And then she just let me, um, then she just hit me right back and knocked me out of the park. And then she ended up getting the bookie. So I was like, okay, okay. I don't know what the hell is going on, but I am so angry and so frustrated. And then I took that out on a lot of people, including, you know, my wife and the anger and the issues and the drinking. And then I sobered up. And then after I sobered up, I ended up uh, getting season three. I was booked for season three against another Vietnamese roast battler, incredible uh, Robin Tran. So she, uh, was able to uh, share the stage with me. First two Vietnamese people on Comedy Central in the history of Comedy Central. It's a big moment for me. We made it into the Vietnamese newspapers. We got uh, a lot of work and it like served as a launching pad for a lot of it. And I feel like it's a big reason why I got uh, hired at the comedy store because, you know, comedy's fearless and there's nothing more fearless than roast battle. You get who, up there and you're, you're about to who, get hit by everybody. So you went up against Robin Tran? Mm-hmm. How did how did it well, how did it uh, go? You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop, and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand. And even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow. <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. It went incredible because I know how to write a fucking joke. <laughs> but, but who, I mean, did, oh, is there somebody who wins in, in Rose yeah, Battle? Yeah. And who won? You or Robin? Uh, I ended up winning because uh, Robin uh, had like kind of a, she had one big bang, but then she tried this one joke that uh, didn't quite land. Hit well enough and it didn't quite land. And then I got her back on another angle, but also credit to Anthony Jeselnik. He gave me his vote because he says, uh, I know how to write a trans joke in the most respectable way possible where I'm not punching down. So I was like, okay, see, that's All a right. yeah. Let's get into yeah. this. Yeah, let's yeah, go. yeah. Let's get into this. Uh, so Robin, Robin is trans, right? Yes. Uh, is a is a oh a, a woman uh, today. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. 
But when we opened up this episode, you and I were talking a lot about, you know, racial and we're talking about, uh, you know, labeling 56 pronouns and bathrooms and all of that. So I, uh, as I'm hearing you battle Robin, I'm thinking in my mind, like, are you and Robin cool? Yeah. No, we're Cause... absolutely cool because we oh. understand. She knows, um, she understands that whole uh, gender identity battle uh, more than almost all of us. She understands it, but she also understands the, the play at hand. She wow. She understands the power grab. She understands it, that, you know, the... That that so whole community is a power grab for again white people, you know, attempting for a power grab, attempting to you know shift shift society in a way that benefits them. All they have to do is dye their hair a bright color and put a bunch of stuff in their biographies, and then they are they get to tell people what to say, which is awful. Like just because you're switching up these things, you don't get to tell people what they can and cannot say because we're from we're from different places and different times and different upbringings. I can say whatever the hell I want to say. Robin can say what, whatever the hell she wants to say, as long as she's not necessarily hurting people. You know, we can say what we want as long as it comes. There's like no hate involved in it. You know, there's a lot of hurt involved in it, but there's not a lot of hate involved in it. That's where people get the lines blurred. Wow, it's so nuanced because I can't imagine because uh, Robin, I, I follow her on Instagram and she's pretty vocal about, you know, all of this stuff. But yeah. it sounds like what you're saying is you and Robin, you two are aligned in the way that you see uh, this issue. Yeah, we're first and foremost, we're comedians. You know, we're comedians before any other identity. So we're here to tell jokes and people should laugh. They're jokes. They're jokes. It's fine. There's no HR involved in any of it. Uh, but then when it's a slow news day, you get all these bots and these uh, people that are, you know, have been really accomplished much in their life, decide to go after people that are like, you know, working hard, busting their butts to make them make a dollar out of some jokes. Uh, they decide that they want to create some news and, you know, bring you into the conversation and make you uh, out to be this villain. Uh, so they can get clicks on their l little fucking blog. And uh, I, I hope that shit goes away. It, is it good for business for you or is it bad for business when they do that? Ah, man, it's both. God, even as much as I hate it, as soon as they, they put your name in front of so many people, uh, it becomes, uh, there's no b bad publicity, of course, unless you're like truly hurting people off stage yeah. or you're a fucking pedophile then you uh it's it's super it's super good for business if you <laughs> if you are all about the jokes because but i mean look at what happened to fucking Chappelle. he didn't get canceled they fucking tried to take him down and i i feel like he's even fucking sold out shows you know because because he, he called it out he called it out for what it is like our struggles are not the same you, you're telling a black man what to say that's the most that's you, you can't tell black people what to say period that's the biggest fucking sin of america i'm like how about you go back to your parents' house in fucking, I don't know, uh, in the hills somewhere and just enjoy your trust fund? Because that's what most of them are, a bunch of little trust fund kids that, you know, are gentrifying Brooklyn, you know, kicking these families out of their houses just so they can sit there on their MacBook Pros at a coffee shop and telling people what to do and say. I know you're trying to you're trying to be the new ruling class. That's all you're trying to be is trying to be the new ruling class. You're not 
trying to make art. You're not trying to make anything. You're not trying to entertain people. You're trying to control people. And comedians are, are going to back him 100% in that case. Yeah. For the most part. Yeah, yeah. For the most part. Yeah. And people, comedians will turn it, uh, turn the narrative, of course, to benefit them at certain points. You see certain comics that are doing things, Chappelle. And then certain comics will adjust things to certain points. But luckily for Chappelle, he doesn't need anybody to to validate him, which I strive to be that just to not need any validation. Going back to what we talked about earlier, like that, 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 that no being uh, just so fucking free, so fucking free. And I admire that. And I admire the work that, you know, the, the comics amongst me are doing too. Everyone's making money off comedy. We're putting food on our tables through jokes. It's pretty cool. I paid for my wedding through, you know, jokes. Wow. So you're fully like up and running. You're not like having to work a, a side hustle. Oh, no, I'm still hustling, man. I'm still hustling. I work at the store. Uh, I will, I flip sneakers. I will, you know, just uh, do commercials as many as I can. That's what saved my ass throughout the entire pandemic is that I booked a commercial and I got health care. Wow. I was able to uh, bring my daughter into the world at one of the best hospitals in you know the country because I had like amazing health care. Uh, but but hold course, up, you yeah. you doing you're doing everything in the business. You're not having to go out and drive Uber or work outside. It sounds like yeah. you know you're you're doing work at the at the store. You're the, when we say the store, we mean the comedy store, right? Mm -hmm. um, you're doing work at the store. You're getting booked for you know um, commercials. You're doing things that are all in alignment with the direction of entertainment. Yeah. And that's a big, in LA, that's a big accomplishment for anybody who's mm -hmm. from out of town that comes here without any family or uh, backing um, would support because it's a tough town to break into. Yeah, man. It's the toughest goddamn thing I've had to do no matter how good you are. Uh, there's so, I heard a quote early on that really like humbled me. It said like a, there are a million brilliant flakes in LA. Don't like if I just show up, if I just show up early and stay late, I'll, I'll move up the ladder easily. And what I did. a what a phenomenal thought is yeah. uh, a a million brilliant brilliant flakes and just show the fuck up, because yeah. then you'll by attrition, the law of attrition. You know, people will just drop out and you you'll still remain around. Yeah. You stick around. And comedy is also brutal in that way because if you quit comedy, no one's gonna check on you. <laughs> if you just stop showing up, people will be like, "All right." <laughs> a fucking one less fucking one less guy to to compete with. I'll take his three minutes. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I'll take his three. I'll take his five. I'll take his seven. Hey, that's, that's it's it's a cold business, baby. <laughs> um. So you're you. you I have a funny thing about the comedy store. Um, we just talked about this before we, we got on live here, but um, when if anybody drives by the comedy store, there's uh, you'll see red panels, drapery panels. Um, many, many moons ago, I was in the bespoke drapery business, uh, and I'm still in that world uh, in a different way, but we do production in Vietnam, doing a different product. But I grew up uh, in L.A. doing... 
um, all the window coverings. Uh, I spent most of my time, and that was kind of my side hustle while I was trying to break into the film game and all this other stuff. But uh, I get a call from one of my designer friends, and he's like, "Yo, we got to go do the comedy store." This is normal, you know. We've done big names, you know, in, in the past, so uh, I thought it was going to be the inside, but it's actually the red panels that you see when you drive past it. You know, we have to figure out how to mount the brackets and, and the rods on the outside because there was no existing. Uh, things to to mount. The, oh man, what a beautiful there. detail uh, to the whole outside of the comedy store. Nobody else has it like that. It's perfect. It's beautiful. I knew an Asian person had to be responsible <laughs> for that. <laughs> perfect. But but damn, that thing's been up there for over ten years for sure. <laughs> they you know, probably there's probably mold and asbestos and all kinds of like bodily fluids all drenched in there it needs a good cleaning i mean 50th anniversary is coming up that's crazy yeah. well we we use this fabric called sumbrella so it's an mm -hmm. outdoor fabric that is like mainly i think it's made from plastic uh so it survives and it's coated in a way where um it it's durable and it'll last for a long time unless it's like somebody put cigarette burns in it and stuff like that but it should last a long time but it still is very bright red every time i drive by yeah. it no, it looks good it's it's part of the whole like feel of the store the store has a certain feel to it it's very dark it's very um it's dark it's very uh welcoming kind of like you know uh the devil extending his hand out <laughs> to you and then just so welcoming you in i love it so let me Not ask satan. you i just love i love the feel yeah. <laughs> people are gonna be like alex is a satan worshiper alex uh, sold his devil i sold his yeah. soul to the devil yeah that that's that's the only reason that that's the only explanation for a, a Vietnamese man making it in comedy. Oh, he sold his soul. I mean, Illuminati, all that. No, exactly. It's hard, it's hard work, baby. So how long does it take to finally, and what does it take to finally, or what are we going to call making it uh, in your eyes? You know, uh, do you finally say I made it? Ticket sales. I, I want to be touring around the, a year round. I want to be touring. I want to sell out places. Uh, still working on that because I just want to make sure I debut correctly. If I misstep my hour or my half hour debut and it's not right and it doesn't pick up traction, which a lot of it, a lot of times it won't more so, more so not than it does. Uh, a lot of it is just has to do with ticket sales and uh, just people that, you know, recognize me and are willing to buy a ticket to go see the thing, the silly ass things that I'm going to say. I think okay. What about what about the actual process? Like now, now that we hear that, like in my mm -hmm. mind, I'm processing that what you just said. But now I want to hear: Is there a structural side to this? Like, okay, thirty minute special. Where does that go? Mm -hmm. How do you construct mm -hmm. that? What's the sort of ABCs of like where you are right now to ticket sales uh, at the number that you want it to be? So the the main thing for me on a personal thing is to um, get past at the comedy store. So that's why I'm working as a door guy for minimum wage uh, to get your name on the wall at the comedy store. I feel like it's one of the biggest things for any comedian because that means you're good for life. You're good for life at the comedy store by being passed there. As long as you're still funny and you're not like fucking up and doing like just weird personal shit that makes it to light, which has happened a lot and caused the downfall of a lot of people. And hey, don't do stupid shit. But easier said than done but the structural thing like the beautiful thing about the comedy store is we get the most tourists out of all the comedy clubs we everybody 
knows and loves the comedy store brand recognition. People go there, people from all over the world. And <clears throat> when they see you there and you decide to tour, you know, those people will tell other people that they saw you. And then from there, they end up, you know, buying tickets when you come to their town. Because people from all over the world are there. They talk about it. They bring up the names. They look at the lineups. People love comedy. And people are comedy fans. So they research you. They want to get invested in you early. And it's, it starts with that process. And then from there, you end up you end up getting looks from certain networks, certain companies. You Or you start a podcast you know, that takes off. And then from there, they give you a look. Uh, it's all about getting a look. You know, what you does that there. mean, getting a look? Well, from my networks, agents, managers, people that want to help you, people that want to give you access, access to the the comedy world and to the tour dates and to like to open for people. And that's how a lot of a lot of my current leveling up is because of the comedy store, because I can open for bigger names. I can open for people that are about to blow. And that's, you know, mainly because they take care of us. They take care of the door guys. Again, that's why I'm there working for minimum wage. I love the place. I've spent many nights there uh, for free. So now the fact that I get to be paid and to get work there and to get stage time there is a humongous blessing because that's the only place that really takes care of their people. And that's the only place. God, is that the only comedy club I've seen in town that hires Asian people? La wow. Factory doesn't? No, I don't see any Asian comics being developed there. That's the only comedy club that develops people. Improv. I've only seen one or two, unless you're like a superstar, you know, your Kim Jong's and your Ali Wong's and your uh, Jimmy O Yang's, you know, much power to them. But the improv doesn't book any other Asian people outside of that, that I've seen here and there, you know, little sprinkles, you know, every now and then. But I am on every single week at the comedy store. You see my name every single week. That's that's true development. Not like a little they're not giving us crumbs. You know, I'm on the comedy store podcast, you know, whenever uh, I can be. Just stuff like that. Stuff like that is so freaking important to developing, you know, still I'm going to consider myself a young comic. Who who drives that development program? Uh, that would be the managers there. So the talent coordinators and they're, I, they're fighting for us. So I think the, the, the owner, the, the past historical um, is Mitzi Shore and Pauly Shore, right? Is that the, the family that is just Mitzi? So Mitzi was the so Polly was never involved. No. And Polly yeah. is a comedian, right? Or no? Yeah, he's a he's a comic, more so an entertainer than a comic. But you know, I saw him do stand up a couple weeks ago, and it was it was good. He he like he, he had a good set, based on who he is, personality, charisma, and just just being a silly dude. You know, he he's the weasel in real life. That's not a character. That's really who he is. Yeah. He's a super nice guy, too. Yeah. Mitzi's not around anymore, is she? Correct. Yeah. Mitzi is no longer around. And now you have uh, the new talent coordinator there. Um, I'm not going to say her name just because I don't want her to get bothered by people. Yeah. And, and, she, and she's the one who is actually like intentionally designing this sort of like, okay, we're going to put Alex on, we're going to give him, you know, time and we're going to give him stage time. And so there's this intentionality behind helping you out as a, as yeah. a up and coming 
person. Uh, yeah, they, they fought for me recently to film there with a whole project that I'm working on with another guy. They, because you, you, filming's not allowed at the comedy store. Unless you're like a paid regular, you're, you got your name on the wall. It's a big network deal. But the fact that they let me and a, uh, a lineup, an all Asian lineup, uh, film in the belly room with full on camera setup, the whole cast and crew and everything, they sh they open up the belly room for us just because, you know, I'm one of the door guys there and they, they fought for that. Wow. Against like upper, upper management, you know. So they were able to get that done and we were able to go into the comedy store with all our equipment and film. And so it's it's a beautiful thing and it's an interesting time to be a part of the comedy store. 50th anniversary, they're actually empowering diverse voices in, and not, not just in race, in like comedy stylings and uh, identities. You know, you have, it's the most diverse club, um, I mean, in California, it's, you know, they don't have like, you know, oh, so-and-so, uh, this is the only night where these people get to perform. Everybody gets to perform everywhere if you're good. How do you know if you're good? They'll let you know. You'll, you'll, get, the, you'll get the time slots. <laughs> you'll get the time slots. That's how you know okay. you're good. But Alex, how do you know personally if you're good? I know personally I'm good because I can, being a store comic, I can fix any room in the country or in the world. You, you give me a shit room, you give me five people, I can destroy five people. I can make five mm. people laugh or I can make a thousand people laugh. That's how I know I'm good because um, there's also a saying that a store comic can fix any room in the country. I'm so glad I started at the comedy store because that's the, you got tourists, you don't, you don't know where people are coming from. Like, you know, you don't know what, people in freaking Uruguay find funny or like in New Zealand, you don't know what their comedy tastes are, but the fact that you can go there and make all these people laugh, all these people from around the world laugh at the same joke. That's it's, it's a cakewalk when you get out there, you know, it's a cakewalk when you go out of LA. So me coming up at the comedy store, uh, honing my chops at roast battle and being able to defend, like, you know, you got hecklers or whatever here and there. They see an Asian guy up there. They think that they can speak up or they can like interrupt your set or challenge you. Uh, you got another thing coming because I'm not, I'm not a sheepish Asian guy that I'm just going to be like, Oh, what, 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 what? And I'm like, dude, what you sitting over there, you know, still wearing Cosby's sweater. Like, don't, don't you know, are you, are you also like, did you sell him the rupees? And then boom, you, 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 you big dick them on stage. And that, that pretty much tells them like, Hey, shut the fuck up. You're not, you're not a pro. I'm the pro. So when you have that ownership over your talent and your jokes and your whole identity, I think it makes you invincible on, on any stage. And I can, I, I can say whatever I want. I can do whatever I want on stage because it's none of my jokes are written from a place of hate, you know? So when you have that, uh, it's, it, it's, it's easy. It's easy when you go around now. Yeah. Now, you know, the names that you uh, talked about before, um, Ken Jeong, Ali Wong, mm -hmm. uh, all these people that went before you, what do you think uh, they have uh, that propelled them to the top? Uh, right place, right time. Timing is everything. Because, you know, you not everything will happen when you want it to, but it'll happen when you least expect it. Uh, Ali Wong work ethic. 
Ken Jong work ethic. Thick, well, yeah, he, I mean, he right place, right time. Hangover, Jimmy o, baby. Jimmy O Yang work ethic too. I'm, I'm yeah, imagining. yeah, work ethic. As soon as we get frustrated and we want to quit, that's usually when something happens. And that's he had a tough time too. I uh, talked to him a couple times about that, where you know he was frustrated. You know, just only being put on all Asian lineups, you know, once a month and that type of bullshit. But, you know, the motherfucker knows what he's doing. He's a pro too. And then it took Silicon Valley a hit show for people to be like, oh, okay, okay, fine. We'll give you more stage time on the regular lineups, you know, mostly all white lineups at the time. And that's when um, things happen and then boom, one, you never stop, never stop. You can't, yeah, it's, it's easy to get a big one, but to stay in that league, is incredibly difficult. Ronnie Chang is another one that comes Ooh, to mind. He's Ronnie Chang, fucking baby. just a badass. Godfather. I opened for him uh, because he saw me on Roast Battle on Comedy Central. Wow. And reached out to me on Twitter and was like, hey, come open for me. Uh, gave me my own green room, made sure I was paid. I mean, we had a like a rap party afterward. Or, or like, no, no, I'm sorry. That was for his taping because I was on... Uh, uh, the funny thing is I ended up opening for him and being his stand in for his Netflix taping. So, cause we're like, kind of like the same height, height. same mm -hmm. hair or whatever. So we ended up uh, working together on that. Then afterwards, I mean, this guy is a monster. And then afterwards at the rap party, he's over here, like walking around, like catering <laughs> to people like with food, with like, you know, uh, Asian cuisines, just putting food on people's plate, like, hey, hey, eat, 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 eat. And, oh, man. He, he's, in, he's, he's a, a beast. Godfather. Yeah, he's a beast. Ryan Chang's and, a beast. And not just being a beast, but, like, sharing the wealth. Yeah, he's very generous out here. Sharing the wealth, making sure every city he hits, he's like, who's your hottest Asian comic in town right now? All right, they're opening for me. Damn. And muscling, muscling the, the, these motherfuckers to uh to let us yeah, fighting for it fighting for us he's one of the few people that fight for uh the asian community the asian comedians he's creating a whole fucking wave that he's gonna go down a legend he's gonna yeah go he down will a legend. and you can tell he's so so smart he's brilliant and he's just a very intellectual um com comic incredibly and he wears the nicest suits i mean he's <laughs> he's got the I mean, I thought I was dapper, Duong, but man, Ronnie, I mean, yeah, respect to him. One of the few, one of the few guys where I'm like, you know, I, I, I could wear an Aoyai on stage. If mm -hmm. Ronnie Chang wears like a fucking tuxedo jacket, I could do this. This is fine. I'm going to do this and uh, I'm, I'm still going to have a good set. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. Yeah, Ro Ronnie's pure fucking work ethic and just uh, moving, moving the right directions just knowing yes or no and just uh being a part of the community because a lot of people will come in they want the shine they want the time they want you know the checks but nobody wants to be a part of the community you know not nobody but like people want to be a part of the community but they don't do it in the proper way it's very selfish you know we're comedians i'm a selfish person um to, almost to a fault but i know at the end of the day like i i gotta take care of people too I remind myself of my Southern upbringings. I'm like hospitality, make sure you take care of people. If somebody needs a ride, you give them a ride if they're going in the same direction or, or not, you know, Hey, true service happens when it's inconvenient mm -hmm. for you. That's yeah. when true service happens. And I was able to, you know, help those. And, you know, cause the, I saw how Ronnie moved and I saw how 
uh, a couple of the Asian comedians have helped me along the way. And I was able to uh, not be greedy and just like, hey, you know, just pay it out. It's going to come back tenfold. It's going to come back tenfold for sure. It's so refreshing to have somebody like Ronnie um, as a uh, a person that has given you the inspiration to do the right thing and not even like you don't even reference him as, you know, some intellectual giant. You just like he's just a generous human being. Um, you know, you don't even need to talk about his talent. You just talk about, you know, that generosity. And that's crazy to me when I when I see that it's like, well, you know, this human connection stuff is not really about you know your work or how you perform it's almost like you know how they make it how people make it to the other side is because of their generosity and the love and the empathy and what they've shown their community yeah if you if you take care of comedy it will take care of you because no one's bigger than comedy you know you got people that think they're above all all of it and think they deserve all this stuff and i I used to be that guy i used to be incredibly entitled incredibly entitled but now i checked myself and I realized it's not about that. It's about uh, taking care of your community. No matter what industry you're in, you take care of your community and you create those relationships. And when it's time that you need to be taken care of, people are going to line up. People will line up to help. And as long as you make sure, you know, you stay, keep your head above water for the most part. And when there's extra, you know, a little, there's an extra seat at the table, you make sure, you know, that you save that for, you know, the person that did the same to you. Uh, your mom and dad, are they on board with what you do now? No. Really? <laughs> they, my family as a whole have never been to a single show I've done. Oh, shit. And I've performed in Dallas. And I had all of it. I've invited them and everything. It's just not in their thing. It's Wait, not in their no, process. But nobody, not even the kids, like your siblings? Nah. They, I, I've done so many shows there, like literally 10 minutes from where they are, but we have just a, just a rough history, just of all the things we've been through together collectively or not collectively me moving out. They felt like I was abandoning them because they needed like extra help, you know? So uh, a lot of that turned into like resentment. So when I'm like, Hey, I'm in your town, just doing fun things. I know you're working your ass off 16 hours a day. I know you guys are all trying to keep it together over there, but hey, come out and watch, you know, the youngest one perform. They're just like, no, we got to work. But what do they do? I mean, what what's so important that they can't uh, support their youngest sibling and their son? Ah, I don't know. It's we we have a rough history. My sister uh, runs a nail shop. You know, my sister runs a nail shop. Brother is he's a mechanic other sister, her and her husband just uh, run a gas station, but it's nothing crazy. Like they're not like super successful or anything. Cause it's like tough times for everybody always. Um, but yeah, and my parents are just, my mom stay at home, you know, when she was still around, uh, she was a stay at home mom. So it's not like she could come out, you know, with her health complications. And then my father, um, just doesn't like leaving the house. He's a war vet. So he only comes out like once every now and then because it did a fucking number on his mm. like, you know, mental. So I just know that this is truly for me. This is truly for me. It's not any kind of validation anymore. Like it, it hurts, but you know, I'm also, I've also got very thick skin. So I'm just like, all right, I'll just talk about it in therapy. I'll just, it'll be fine. They gave me a lot of material to work with. 
so I'm gonna be I'm gonna be all right. And you know, it's a, that's how it is being a comedian. It's a lot of times it's like a lone wolf thing. Well, a lot of the shit is trauma induced, right? Like a lot of the material is like trauma induced, and yeah. sometimes you might have to ask yourself. And and I, this is how I go through shit too. It's because of all the the heartache and because of all the crazy shit that. Uh, we encounter and we experience uh, it propels us to do the work that we do in the yeah. creative business yeah and I think greatness comes out of that it's the whole like a uh, bottlenecking effect of like creativity and uh, I think like the less sh struggle we have the shittier art we make yeah it's so true it, it yeah, is that's, um, why, that's why when people get big it's so hard for them to stay relevant uh, because oh, you're going to complain about your yacht. What are you going to complain about on stage? Yeah. What are you going to talk about the, the the nuances between caviar? Like, oh, well, what's the deal with black caviar? Like, no, people, you will immediately alienate people. I'm also glad I have my wife and my kids to keep me grounded because that keeps me super humble no matter how far this goes. I'm like, hey, I'm gonna, always going to stop. I'm always going to stop what I'm doing to play with my kids. I'm always going to stop what I'm doing to, you know, take my wife out to a dinner. Uh, whenever that happens, but it's it's tricky because it's only going to get busier, you know, as things progress. So luckily, we have technology and we can stay in touch, you know. But it's a it's a it's an amazing thing that you can support your family uh, with the entertainment work that you do. Uh, yeah. That's that, not everybody can say that. Well, my wife's also very successful, so that helps. She's uh, successful in her own right, uh, or else uh, that's also. I'm just very fortunate that a woman wants my time of day. Uh, that's also very successful, beautiful, intelligent, caring. And uh, I'm just very fortunate that to have that. And she's also like a, one of the foundations of our family. Yeah, it sounds like it. She understands the, the journey. Yeah, funny enough, Vietnamese woman, Vietnamese women, man. They're, they're tough. They're tough as nails. And boy, whoo. <laughs> but <laughs> they make it work yeah. make it work as long as you're you step the fuck up and, yeah yeah and arguably that's uh another pressure that that makes you advance right it's the yeah. that pressure that it's like whoa are you showing up or are you just fucking around because you yeah. got to pick a you got to pick a yeah. path here because we need to eat and our family needs to be comfortable yeah Ali Wong has a uh, a joke in her new special about how her nephew is, or how people want somebody that's chill. <laughs> like chill, don't pay the bills. <laughs> that's chill, don't so pay the bills. Brilliant! It's so brilliant. Like yeah, like everybody, oh chill, you know yeah. I don't want to date a chill person either. <laughs> no, my my wife's a maniac in her own right, and she gets shit done. Yeah, and I I love it. If she if we if it was chill, we'd be living even further below the line of poverty. God damn, are you kidding me? No, that's a certain quality of life we're trying to aim for here. Yeah, and chill doesn't fit anywhere in there. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe on vacation. Maybe we'll we'll chill on vacation. But yeah. So what's up? What's up next? Uh, the next few years. What are we looking at? <clears throat> Comedy store. Uh, working there. Uh, working there on getting past getting past and then from there moving uh up the ladder maybe into like to be able to create enough revenue from comedy to invest i 
am a part of the Comedy Store podcast. I wanted to do a podcast too. I admire people that do podcasts because it's so much work. But then eventually I'll end up starting a podcast when I feel like the timing's right, when I start, you know, uh, finding a, a an angle, you know, because it's, it's so tricky. There's like a billion podcasts out there, but also there's like a, quite a few comedians out there. People have reminded me, like, even though like uh, there's so many people doing so many things, like if you're able to excel in that, you know, arena, then, hey, you're, you're doing something right, you know, shit. Shout outs to all those people for sure. Uh, but mostly comedy, man. And just being a part of a, like a big, a couple of projects that uh, I'm waiting to see where they go. If they decide to go, then hopefully that generates more fans. Because that's been my approach since I, I act as well. If I can, you know, be a part of that, go the Jimmy O. Yang route, you know, get, yeah. a, get on a really cool TV show that's uh, widely loved, then you know, turning that into ticket sales. And then I'll continue doing like little clips of my standup after, you know, my half hour debut. Cause you do a half hour as an introduction to the world. Hey, here's a quick half hour. Uh, come check me out. Then you develop your hour. And then from there, then that turns into like tour dates and tour dates. Uh, so I just got to stay healthy for that. Got to stay mentally healthy and make sure I don't, uh, burn everything down. Uh, that's a tough thing. That's what therapy is for. Make sure I don't burn everything down in the midst of all this because it's only going to get busier. But who knows, man? And uh, that's a that's a loaded question. Who knows what's going to be next? Because I'm just going to keep working on my stand-up act and uh, keep auditioning and keep showing up. And we'll see where it goes. I just know that I'm. Uh, you, you could always find me at the store. Uh, that's that's a uh, that's my home base, man. I love that place. You know, uh, that's a, a a breeding grounds for like the top comics in in the in the United States because a lot of big ass names come from that place, and mm -hmm. um, I hope in the same vein, the choice for me to ask certain guests to come on to my podcast is sort of like mm -hmm. that kind of like that idea is like mm -hmm. hopefully you know the world hasn't heard the entire world hasn't heard about you. But, you know, you, we could dig back into my library and go, yeah, yeah. Alex Zim was on, you know, uh, years ago and, you know, has mm -hmm. continued to come on a few more times. And, you know, we can catch that wave mm -hmm. uh, to witness you uh, blowing the fuck up in the U.S., uh, you know, and that that is my hope. Mm -hmm. And I know that um, I, I do want to get to the other comics, but you are the first mm -hmm. Vietnamese American comic uh, to come on to the podcast. And wow. uh, huge honor. I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, it's a yeah. lot. Well, you know, I mean, they're, your work, your work ethic shows and, you know, it's just a matter of time if you don't stop, right? If you yeah. don't stop, we're going to gonna see a lot more of you and hear more of you. And um, I'm here to support uh, you getting more uh, fans and, you know, and, mm -hmm. and I'm, you know, in the same boat. We're, we're just, you know, we have to show up and we have to grind this out until, you know, our amplified voice collectively gets all over the map. And, you know, and that's, that's the most important thing. Yeah, man. Vietnamese people, we got what it takes. We do have what it takes. Uh, the tenacity of the Vietnamese people is just unmatched. And as soon as we find our groove in the entertainment industry, we're, they're starting to let us in here and there. We're, we're being sprinkled around, you know, and you, you got your, you know, your Rosie Trans. You got, well, like Maggie Q was the first, you know, first like yeah. Vietnamese American actress. She laid the groundwork and Man, still looks 
incredible. incredible. I'm like, wow. Um, yeah, yeah, I saw like, I saw Maggie Q at an event recently. She was just still amazing. Yeah, in- incredible actress, incredible martial artist. And the more and more we just keep supporting each other, I think that's a, a big rift that we have. Uh, it's, you know, trauma. <laughs> it is. Trauma it is. just so, keeping us apart from each other. But if we actually continue to support each other, I think it's going to result in some some bigger things. And and honestly, I haven't done a lot of Vietnamese podcasts. I've been asked to do you know certain interviews and stuff, and uh, I, I I don't do it necessarily because some people don't um, truly appreciate comedy. You know, like they don't have a true interest. It's just a slow news day, and I'm like, ah, eh, no, nah, I'm good. You're, you're I'm only going to take time away from my daughter, my family and my writing and all that stuff for people that care. So I appreciate you actually caring and loving and you're a part of the comedy store. Shit. That's uh, <laughs> that's incredible. So I'm literally on the outside of the comedy store. I love comedy. I, you know, I wish I uh, followed it more. I'm, you know, more of the podcast uh, world. I, I follow and listen to a lot of podcasts, but um comedy is is certainly especially black comedians for me and my brother mm. we are mm. just uh diehard fans of you know these old school comics and you know yeah. richard Pryor and and all those early i got their vinyls on my wall out there uh your, your yeah. priors your eddie murphy eddie murphy yeah of course they they changed the landscape of comedy and i mean and, and the black comics around the comedy store hard to follow Hard to follow, man. You got killers like uh, black comedians change the whole landscape of comedy. Like now, even even though I think it's uh, uh, just a part of culture, like black people are like humongously responsible for uh, society and how it moves. What's cool, right? What's cool? No doubt. So so you're starting to see, uh, I guess for a lack of a better word, like AAVE, African-American verbal, whatever they late coined it but i see it so much now that i i'm aware of it but i've always been aware of it a lot of the uh yas and all the uh you know all the verbiage that you know white women love to like scream out it's all black culture mm-hmm. it's, it's all black culture ingrained in in the american lexicon you know yeah but yet they can't get alone you know it's tough it's so up. yeah as soon as we shift that, but I didn't mean to drive it back to a dark, uh, to like a, <laughs> a, a heavy, heavy place. But the the black comedians at the store, man, the, the, you got a couple that uh, I know are about to become a household fucking name, and they got nothing but love for the comedy store, and they take care of everybody there too. Yeah. Well, look, Beautiful. we'll take care of each other, you and me, and yeah. I hope to bring more uh, comedians mm-hmm. on with your help, hopefully. Um, yeah. You know. We'll get some names. I'll send them your and, way, baby. Yeah, we got like we got like a couple of them, just enough to sit at one table for dinner. But that's how many of them are here right now. But we should do that. Yeah, we yeah. should definitely do that. Alex, thank you so much for your time yeah. today. And uh, you know, I will uh, hope to see you soon. We we don't live too far yeah. from each other. Yeah. Hey, I'm always at the comedy store. So hit me up when you uh, you want to come by. Bring a date. You know, make it a date night. It'll be fun. I'll bring the bring the homies, bring the family. So you guys are a part of the comedy store. There's no reason why you shouldn't go there and enjoy some, some jokes, man. Will do, man. I appreciate yeah. it once again. Absolutely. Hey, my right. pleasure, man. Thank you so much. Thanks, Alex. Thank you for listening to The Vietnamese with Kenneth Wynn. 
The Vietnamese is produced by Brittany Tran. Special thanks to Jane Nguyen, Catherine Nguyen, Tina Pham, Sydney Jamie, and Crystal Trin. Please find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at The Vietnamese Podcast. You can also find us on YouTube where you can subscribe, like, and comment. Please rate and give us a review wherever you find our podcast. Thanks again for listening.